Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Tennis with an Accent. This is Sakib Ali hosting the show and today we'll be talking about the recently concluded Estoril Open and uh, who better than uh, Miguel Siabra joining the show, uh, who's been you know a known tennis voice to tennis journalists and very close to the Estoril Open in the media manager capacity and plus his connection with tennis. So it's just an absolute honor to host you, Miguel, on this episode. How are you? I'm fine. Still a little bit uh, emotionally hangover because the, it was quite an intense fortnight. And uh, yeah, and the, the final went, uh, went on uh, for almost three hours. So it ended uh, late uh, on Sunday because the final started at 4 p.m. And uh, I'm still, yeah, it's, it's uh, always the same each year after such, a, yeah. such a, an overload of uh, work and uh, emotions. And you always feel a little bit emotionally hangover. Uh, in the following couple of days, so uh, so yeah, I'm just chilling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and we'll we'll get to uh, the logistics of it. But uh, this year, you know, uh, on the on the back end of you know the pandemic, how difficult was this tournament to take place? Because I'm sure this was not a normal year in terms of organizing, and then you know uh, with the border protocols and. And then we'll get to the players. So talk about the overall effort that went into this year's edition uh, compared to what a normal Estoril Open is. Well, it was it was quite difficult. I think the the the, the most work that had to be done had to to do with with protocols and uh, all those uh, preparations and uh, watching out for the evolution of the pandemic. Because uh, right now we're in Portugal, um, things have opened up. This Monday, one day after after the tournament. So, if the tournament was was held this week, maybe we could have had the um, public. So um, we had to to follow closely the, the evolution of of, of 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 all the protocols, and uh, we, we had to be in constant uh, contact with with the with the national uh, health authorities, but also with the ATP tour. So it uh, it had to be. Um, uh, it, it was a really difficult affair, and I think it was the, the, the most difficult part uh, in organizing the tournament this year. Besides all those uh, circumstances that have, have to do with with, uh, with sponsors wanting to to be uh, present or uh, extending their uh, partnership with the tournament or not, I think uh, in that case the tournament was um, um, the tournament. Sponsors wise was uh, was a great tournament because all the major sponsors stayed with with with, with, the, with the tournament. Of course, they understand the the, the the circumstances. It was it was a huge success. That's good to know and really interesting because in these times of COVID, again, I don't understand uh, how the financial end of these tournaments work. So uh, when the sponsorship is looking to renew its commitment to an event like this, so. Uh, the negotiations are ongoing like throughout the year or uh, how does that, I mean, are, are you privy to it? Like, you know, what kind of time timeline these conversations look into it? Do, we, do they look at the last year's event or do they look, okay, you know, we are, we are not, we're not able to get many superstars. So what is, what is the kind of return they're looking at when they try to continue their commitment to a tournament like a 250 event in Estoril? Well, I think the, first of all, most of the sponsors have, um, multiple year uh, deal with, with, with the tournament. 
So for them, it was an investment because they know the potential of the tournaments. They know uh, the return on investments they, they can get from, from the tournaments. So they, they understand that this is a peculiar year. So they, they stay with, with the tournament. Almost all of them and even uh, a, few, a few new sponsors. So, uh, so in that department, the tournament was quite uh, successful. And um, and it had to be, otherwise it would be impossible to, to stage the events, because the, the tournament, one of the, the tournament's biggest assets, it's it's a corporate site, uh, the VIP lounge, the, the the lunches and the dinners. We have three night sessions, and that is a major aspect of the tournament, as it is in most tournaments. But uh, most fans don't, don't don't know or don't understand. Because what's going on in all the areas where most fans don't have access to is uh, is a big part in in, uh, in financing uh, a tournament. So all that corporate side was not possible to to um, to be staged this year. So the, the, a major asset for, for most of the, of the of the sponsors was not there this year. So, but, but they understood. They they have, they have to understand. And even though financially most most companies are not in, in the best shape these days, they they stay with the tournament. They, they were faithful, and of course uh, everybody knows that this can go on for for much longer. That norm, normalcy will will be back in 2022. We expect uh, so. The so it was a, it was a great success in that aspect. Of course, not having uh, the all the. The ticketing uh, income and and the and the, the corporate uh, uh, income um, meant that uh, the budget, the tournament budget, was not the same as in previous years. Uh, not not a lot of money uh, for appearance fees, but also the players also understand that. So uh, the, mm. the the price of uh, cashier, the, the appearance fee of, of, of each player. Uh, it's not the same. It's lowered quite a bit, uh, especially you know, those those uh, ten to twenty uh, ranked players or uh, the second part of the of top ten. But uh, as I told you before, one of the biggest problem of two hundred fifty tournaments uh, is that uh, is the, is scheduling, because we could we could have a lot of money uh, to um, to attract the best players. And still, if you look at the the, the crowd of play court uh, schedule, you have Monte Carlo, and then you have Barcelona. This year we have also uh, Belgrade with Novak Djokovic staging uh, his own tournament. So a top player would play Monte Carlo and then Barcelona, and then rest, and then play two Masters Thousands, and then rest, then French Open. Now they have two weeks to rest because the French Open was delayed one week. But that's what a top player would do. And uh, this year, for instance, we had many requests of top players to um, to wait for to to, um, to wait for a wild card, meaning that the tournament director had to um, to keep a couple of wild cards open for uh, big name players. For instance, Daniel Medvedev he had COVID, so he wanted to. Uh, uh, to get over it as soon as possible, and he requested the organization to to see if he, they could, uh, you know, reserve a wild card for him. Also, Stefanos Tsitsipas really likes uh, this tournament, but uh, Stefanos, uh, as you know, uh, not only went 
far in Barcelona the previous week. He, he had match points versus uh, Rafa Nadal in the final. But he, he also won Monte Carlo uh, in, in the week prior. So even though he really, really wanted to come and uh, told us to, to, um, to reserve that wild card for him, uh, at one point, a few days, uh, a few days before before the start of the, the qualifying, he had to, to say, "Okay, I'm I'm still uh, in Barcelona, so I don't think I, I'll be able to to come to Estoril this year." And then um, we had several uh, top top twenty players, but uh, for instance, Grigor Dimitrov, he had um, a problem with his teeth in Monte Carlo. When he, he 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 played against Nadal, he wasn't almost there. So it was like a quick a quick match, very awkward. And then we knew that uh, something was bothering, so he wanted to come and play. But uh, at last minute, the infection uh, got uh, stronger again, so he couldn't come. Then we had Kinishikori. Kinishikori was practicing hard. I I, I saw him in play. Uh, we had a lot of requests from from Japanese media, and then he gets injured <laughs> practicing. Richard Gasquet, who won the first edition back in 2015, uh, he, he won the first round match and then he got injured. So the COVID has also changed a little bit the mindset of players and the, the way they view the, the, the schedule. And sometimes uh, they feel fresh mentally and um, other times they, they, they feel that they need to, to not play, not travel. It's It's... These are really strange. Uh, these are really strange times. So, uh, it it was uh, it was a little bit difficult to analyze this year's edition because we had the, in the final two names that were not expected at, at that stage of the tournament: Albert Ramos Vinales and and Cameron Nori. But if you look at the at their um, 2021 record, Albert Ramos Vinales uh, got into the tournament with the most clay court wins, and he won the tournament. And uh, Cameron Norrie as well. He was he's the third, I think, with most wins uh, on tour this year. Uh, all uh, surfaces considered, so they showed they they were informed. In they were uh, uh, playing at a good level. I was expecting a little bit more from Marin Cilic, who, who looked really, really into the tournament. He was he was winning uh, outfought matches. His mindset was there, but then in, in the in the semis, he's um, in the semis, Cameron Norrie was 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 really tough. So uh, I was I was thinking from from the quarterfinals on and looking at what uh, Marin Cilic was 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 showing us that Marin Cilic would would uh, come out the winner. He was the you know uh, pedigree wise the, the, the play with the with the best um, uh, curriculum, but. Uh, but he was surprised by Cameron Nori in the semis. It was also a, a difficult week because a little bit of wind. Also, we, we had sun, but also um, the temperatures lowered quite a bit uh, towards the, the end of the afternoon. So uh, there were a lot of factors going on. You know, uh, a lot of big names uh, withdrawing and not being able to come. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, these... Uh, these uh, these players like uh, Albert Ramos Vignoles and Cabernori uh, showing up at, at their best level, so they they deserve the place in the final. It was the, the it was the final in thirty years of ATP Tour events in, in Portugal. It was the score wise was the, the the closest score 
we got with a tiebreaker on the third set. That had never happened before. I remember in the previous Estoril Open tournament from 1990 to 2014, we had, for instance, uh, James Blake in 2009. He had a match point on the second set and he lost to a certain Albert Montañez, who in the next year beat, uh, also saved match points versus Gilles Simon and beat Roger Federer in the semis to, to win the tournament. But uh, but we didn't never have a, a final decided on the first on the first set tiebreak. So it, it was what it was. It was uh, an interesting tournament. And what what else can I um, bring from from the tournament? No, you said uh, I think uh, you said plenty here, and uh, I'm ready <laughs> to go here. Not to trying to cut you off, but yeah. I think you gave a lot of information there. And at our level, you know, the outsiders. I don't call myself a journalist. You know, I do this podcast for four years, but, you know, yeah. I'm not in, in the in circle like you, you know, yeah. in tennis that who knows how these events work. So you mentioned about uh, the wild card. That's pretty interesting. You know, there's a lot of talk about the wild cards uh, and a lot of journalists do speak about it, like how wild cards are given. Sometimes there's some sort of a nepotism, like Zverev's brother got a wild card. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is wildcard is total discretion of the tournament. They can give it to anyone. It they can give it to a former champion. They can give it to a young local, or yeah. they can give it to someone, you know, if they have to do a favor or yeah. maybe, and maybe that's a package deal to get Sasha Zverev. So you give it to Misha Zverev. Mm-hmm. So that's talk, talk about that. Yeah, and that's then, an interesting topic. I'm glad you, you brought it yeah. up because we have, so, this, we have some sort of controversy uh, regarding the, the wildcard. So, so the, the wild cards were, of course, João Souza, whose ranking has dropped and, uh, and he's the best Portuguese tennis player ever. And he was the champion in 2018 when he, he beat Francis Tiafo in the final after beating Stefano Tsitsipas in the semis. So he was the, the, the first uh, wild card awarded. When, when the organization brought, brought the entry list, when they, the, they introduced the entry list to, to, uh, to, to the media, they unveiled the event release. They uh, right then it was five weeks before the, the tournament. Usually it's six weeks, but but with the pandemic they changed the the the, the deadline to, to five weeks. So they announced João Souza. So it's it was pretty much um, I mean uh, everybody uh, understood that uh, he had to 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 get a, a wild card. But then, as uh, as it always happens. Um, he kept the, the, the two wild cards until the very last week, uh, very last days. So uh, there were a lot of uh, requests. I told you about the Daniel Medvedev. I told you about uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Dominic Team. Were you guys in uh, touch yeah. with Federer too? Or? Mm, I mean, Jules Gion, the tournament director, is, is, uh, is friends with, with uh, Tony Gatsik, uh, Roger Federer's manager. I think they might have, you know, Exchanged, yeah, yeah. but but if, if Roger wanted to to play, I think with uh, Tony Gossip with with getting in touch with the uh, with the organization as it as it was the case in the prior uh, Estoril Open played in Stadio Nacional. Uh, Roger played in two thousand and eight and two thousand and ten. So um, yeah, but sometimes you know they, they exchange messages. Oh, is it this year that you're going to get Roger? Of course. So, but but there were uh, several other names. For instance, the Dominic Team was uh, was out of the of the tour for a, a few weeks. You know, trying to he was trying to um, 
to heal from the, also this emotional hangover that he says he, he had post US Open uh, title. Um, but in, in the end, so the, the tournament director has, has to take several decisions. He has to, especially in this year where he doesn't have income from, uh, from ticketing and, uh, and that corporate says I told you about, he also has to think about you know, TV rights, uh, how he will attract you know, televisions from around the world. So he, has, he also has to think about the, the good names to bring uh, to the tournament that might interest aficionados all, all over the world. And then he also has the, the Portuguese players who are not uh, ranked well enough to get in directly into, into the main draw. So, so there was a little bit of controversy because in the end, João Leão gave the, the wild card to, uh, to Kini Shikori. And uh, the other one uh, was Denis Shapovalov. First, he, he gave the, the, the wild card to, to, to Grigor Dimitrov, but then there, he had this tooth infection, so he couldn't come. So he gave the, the, the wild card to Dan Shapovalov, who showed interest in coming. And uh, there was also Andy Murray, but Andy Murray in the end said that he needed a few more days to, to prepare because he wanted to come back and play, play good enough on clay. But he was interested then. I think that uh, Joan Zlian was eager to to give him a wild card because I mean he he was a, he's a former number one, he's um, and he's a, he's a he's a personality. He's a, one of the best players ever because he was number one. He won three Grand Slams. He won twice the Olympics. He won more Masters thousands than 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 Pete Sampras himself. So even though his level is uh, way below the one he's, uh, the, the level he used to, to show when he was uh, on the top five or even top three or, or best player in the world, of course. He's a personality. We have a lot of uh, Brits living in Portugal and, uh, and, and, and the, the, the British press would be, would be following the, the tournament closely. So uh, especially because a few years ago, we, we tried to lure him doing a, a, vi- a small video that uh, went viral. So I, I, I was, in my opinion, I would, I would give uh, Andy Murray wildcard, even if he could lose in the first round, just just based on on, on his career and on his uh, personality. But then, uh, of course, uh, a few players, a few Portuguese players, um, could not play the, the the main draw because they did get a wild card. There was a bit of controversy, especially regarding a Portuguese player named the João uh, de Domingues. Uh, and the uh, because he, he played the quarterfinals two years ago, only lost to Stefanos Tsitsipas. He even won uh, won a set, and he's been playing well in the tournament. You no know, going through qualifying and, and and playing on the on the main draw. So there was there, there was a little bit of controversy in in social media and the Portuguese fans. Uh, but they have to understand that uh, a tournament director, especially in these conditions has to think about uh, the, the, the aficionados, the worldwide aficionados. And so he has to get big names to attract, you know, TV audiences. And it's very important. And uh, of course, there are, there are, there's also the, the qualifying. These days, the, the, the ATP uh, Tour events, uh, 2050, the qualifying only have uh, uh, 15, uh, 16 players. I remember that in the former SRL Open, the qualifying was open. And uh, everybody could play uh, that had a decent ranking or a, a, a ranking at all. Uh, qualifying are much stronger these days. Uh, they're closed events. 
and um, the entry list closes uh, several days before. So he awarded two wildcards to Portuguese players, and one of them got into the main draw. Nuno Borges uh, was a good junior back in his day, and then he went to, to study in the United States. He became a, some sort of legend for the Mississippi State University. Actually, he played the, the final of the NCAA championships, and he was, he's, he's one of the one of the players that has won more matches in in the collegiate U.S. collegiate championships uh, when he was in the states. So he played really well. He's, he's been playing well. He, he won ten futures. He was in the final of the challenger uh, a month ago. So he, he he played really well in the in the qualifying. He beat two um, two top hundred uh, players, and then in the main draw, he also beat. Um, he also beat uh, a top uh, top hundred player yeah. uh, in uh, in uh, Jordan Thompson. I mean, Jordan Thompson is not the best Australian player out there, but he's a uh, he's a uh, he has a quite. He's a regular on game. the tour. He's appearing he in a, many main draws. Quite, yeah, yeah, he has a quite complete um, player. He can play on clay. He's uh, he, he, he was uh, the alternate player on the. The, the, the previous Labour Cup. So, I mean, he has experience and he's, uh, he's top 65. So, so Nuno Borges played really well. So, in two matches uh, in, the, in, the, in the qualifying, including a win against, uh, against the first seed, uh, Jaume Munar, who comes from, from Mallorca and the, the, the Naval Academy, he, he then beat uh, uh, Jordan Thompson and he put up a great fight against the uh, uh, Marin Cilic, he only lost in, in three sets, and maybe those long matches that Marin Cilic had, had to win, he had to go through uh, three set matches. Maybe, maybe in the semis, he lacked a little bit of, um, of uh, physical and mental freshness to overcome uh, a tough opponent as uh, Cameron Nori was this week. So, uh, so of course, when you see the, well, the wildcard part, and you brought the subject, and I, I'm glad you brought because there's a lot. A lot to talk about the about, about the wild cards because uh, uh, it won't please everybody. You know the the Portuguese players, and then there are uh, players who are ranked 10, 20, and players that can add something to the to the tournament. For instance, uh, Kenichi Kori is is not in top thirty these days, but uh, but he's a, he, Kenichi Kori is a name that every every uh, tennis aficionado knows. He's big in Japan, you know the old song. <laughs> you know when you're big in Japan, uh, and uh, he is uh, one of the the richest players out there because of all the all, all yeah. the deals that he has. So he's a he's a top flight player, and uh, he has a lot of quality in this game, as you know. He's uh, so uh, so. I think uh, I, I agree that that uh, Kinshikori should have gotten a wild card, and he did. And uh, actually, I saw him play. Uh, uh, on practice, and I was really, really uh, enjoying his level. His back end on the line is, is phenomenal, and he was into it. And he was practicing and all that. He came, he came on a private jet, so uh, he spent a lot of money to come over. And uh, he came with Max Mirny, and uh, and then yeah, as we speak, he's apartment. taken out. I'm sorry, as we speak, Nishikori has taken out Hachinov in Madrid, six two exactly. in the third. So yeah, his level is really good. <laughs> so yeah, and and he's, he has he has had a, a, a good record on on the Iberian Peninsula because in Spain he went Barcelona twice and winning Barcelona twice 
in the uh, Rafael Nadal era. It's not, it's not easy. And let's not forget, he was up 6-2-4-1 in Madrid when in he Madrid, pulled a, exactly. you know, a lower back muscle. And, you know, exactly. uh, you know, even Nadal and his uncle said that's a tournament Nishikori exactly. deserved to win. So, no, but I think uh, so, you, you, you're saying a lot of interesting things. Again, I, again, trying to intervene because I don't forget my points. You're right. With Nishikori, you can bring in a different market. Because I attended Miami event and there's like a whole army of reporters that follow Nishikori and Osaka. Exactly. Because and so on social reach. media, the following yeah. on social media, it grew exponentially after uh, the moment to when we so, announced Kim Shikori. So, yeah. So, you, you've given a lot of information, like how the mindset works to bring in like a top name, like a Murray or a Nishikori, even though they are like not at their best, but they're still big names and with British media and Japanese media and their presence is good mm-hmm. for the financial health because there'll be more eyes on the tennis. But what happens to the wild cards in qual- qualifying? Because... Uh, for example, I know this didn't happen this year, but uh, you know, you, you've uh, to many Carriol, I think, wrote an article recently where he quoted examples of like Misha Zverev and maybe even Novak's brother. You know, in the past, mm-hmm. have gotten mm-hmm. uh, wild cards, and uh, and then on the other hand, if that kind of wild card happens, uh, and I guess how Elias kind of misses out. So, what is exactly. the wild card pool at the qualifying level? How many wild cards do you, the organizers keep for the locals? And how does that work? Do you wait for the last minute, like you wait for a Medvedev to make up his mind for the main draw? Yeah. Or yeah. wildcards at qualifying work a little differently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, with a 16-player with a qualifying draw, you only have two wildcards. And yeah, I mean, for instance, uh, Carlos Alcaraz, Carlitos Alcaraz, he, he requested a wildcard for the main draw and also for the qualifying. Fortunately, he got in. And, uh, uh, and he got into the main draw and he showed that an unbelievable level. I mean, Carlos Alcaraz is the, is the real deal. And he, he had his coach with him. And his coach is uh, Juan Carlos Ferrer, whom I know quite well because I've seen him play and win every, every tournament in, in Portugal from the under-14 to, um, to junior tournaments, to uh, challengers and to the, the, the former Estoril uh, Open. And he also played the, the, the ATP finals, the, the, the then called Masters Cup in Lisbon in 2000 when Google won and became number one in the world. So it's, it's someone I, I, I really know. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, if you have a coach like Juan Carlos Ferrero, then you have to be good. And, uh, and if you're, and if people are saying that Carlos Alcaraz is the new Rafael Nadal, you really have to be uh, good. And he showed an incredible, uh, the firepower and intensity and the, the the focus he brought he brought he brought to the to to the game it's unbelievable and uh, and the, we should follow him this week in in, in Madrid and in the in the next weeks because he's an unbelievable player of course more from the backcourt uh, huge forehands and um, but then uh, he, he ran into Marin Cilic. As I told you, uh, Marin Cilic came to the tournament really focused with with the, with the best mindset I've seen him uh, with uh, for a long time. For instance, in 2019, I didn't see him really focused. It was really focused. So, so Marin Cilic uh, played with Carlos Alcaraz, uh, beat him six three one six six four, but it was a high level match. So I hope to see Carlos Alcaraz <laughs> come back, and I hope to see him do well in the in the following weeks. So. Uh, it's 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 a name that we should we should follow. Is 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 the real deal? I think. 
I no, think there's a huge margin for, for progression. So no, absolutely. Yeah. He's in everybody's radar. So another excellent point there, you know, with Juan Carlos Ferrero. So yeah. I'll just dig deeper because I'm sure the listeners would want to know. So Juan Carlos Ferrero, again, no stranger to clay court or you know, world-class tennis, former world number one. And you know, like you said, he's won everything under the sun on clay. So you think uh, if Carlos Alcaraz was not such a prodigy, just for the fact that he is coaching, he's been coached by Juan Carlos Ferrero or his Valencia Tennis uh, Academy, you think that will help him, not even in Estoril, because who the coach is, you think that will help him get some wild cards if he was not mm-hmm. there yet his game-wise? Of course, Alcaraz is there with his game. But yeah. uh, how does the relationship work here where someone, some academy or some coaches and speak about the industry, you know, because uh, you see all these names uh, getting pulled into different main draws, uh, not main draws, sorry, qualifying draws. Now it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a difficult balance that you have to find because of course the, it's a tournament in Portugal and uh, it has to, you know, it has to favor Portuguese tennis uh, it, it also has to serve a purpose and then it also has to to think uh, about the future and um, the tournament has to be sustainable and in order to be sustainable it has to you know to, to get recognition worldwide so you have to have uh, good enough names to attract a wider audience so it's it's that balance that you have to that you have to, to find and in the end uh, the, the the balance was was found because two Portuguese wildcards for for the qualifying one of them got into the main draw, actually uh, went on to to the second round and played the Chile a great match. Uh, of course, João Souza he lost to Cameron Nori, which was this week uh, his his doubles partner. Uh, João Souza has been uh, in a slump, and he hasn't been winning uh, matches. And let's see uh, where he goes from here because. Uh, he needs to, you know, he needs to, yeah, he needs to change something because his, his, his mental is not there. And he was uh, mentally uh, strong, even though sometimes he, he, looked like, he looked like not being mentally strong because he's always, you know, shouting in matches, very agitated, but that's his way of releasing the pressure. So he's, uh, he's always been a fast player with a, with a great forehand, with a good enough forehand and uh, and uh, mentally um, uh, the tough opponents, but he's lost the edge on those areas and uh, he's not winning matches. So um, fortunately, we had Nuno Borges uh, in the second round. The, what, what he was saying, of course, there are connections. Sometimes you have the you have IMG run tournaments. So, but this is not an IMG run tournament. We're not associated with with, with any mm-hmm. academy. But of course, being at 250, and, uh, and as we we talked about in in our prior conversation, what was it two years ago? So these 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 tournaments, 250 tournaments, they have to think about the future and invest in the, in the next gen. And um, and of course, Carlos Alcaraz already has a reputation. We've seen him play. We see we've seen him play at a, at a high level. We see his professionalism. And we really think he's the, the real deal. So, uh, so it was a name that um, that the tournament director thought you know, about, about giving a wild card to the to the to the qualifying, but only two wild cards for the qualifying. It's 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 short. It's really short. It's really short. So, 
No, he got in anyway. So the, yeah, there are a lot of factors that 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 you need to to, to consider. For instance, João Souza is also sponsored uh, by the the title sponsor of the tournament, Millennium. That's that's also a factor, but not the most important. Of course, we have to think about the, of the about the, the 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 quality of the player. If the player is in a good form or not, and sometimes a wildcat can help, especially in the place where he, he got his. Uh, his um, his best title, not not his best title, one of three ATP two titles, but of course the happiest uh, moment of his of his tennis career. So um, yeah, it's it's okay. a fine balance. No, I, I totally understand. <coughs> These are not easy decisions from the tournament's perspective. So let's wrap this conversation up mm -hmm. and let's talk about appearance fees a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so how does appearance fees work here? I mean, if you say, for example, I'll just throw in a name. If you get a Sitsipas who won here a couple of years ago. So if you get an appearance fee, is there an appearance fee for that year? Or sometimes the deal is to sign someone for two or three years while they're young because you don't know if the stock goes up. Yeah. And what's happening with Sitsipas right now? Not only is he world-class, he's winning tournaments. It's hard for him to play a 250, you know, depending on where the 250 is scheduled. So yeah. talk about the appearance fee. Where does the money come from? And... Or, you know, what are the targets? Like, who, who the tournament goes after in what order? What kind of players? From a certain stage on, players don't really care about appearance fees. So, for instance, uh, Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal or Novak Djokovic, even if uh, a tournament can throw a million, Munich or Estoril, I don't think they would come because, because they... they they have to manage their their own schedule, and uh, they're thinking first of all, uh, sporting wise, not uh, financially wise. So um, uh, I think in this pandemic year, the appearance fees are quite quite different from 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 the usual fees. And a lot of players, you know, they they request a wild card and they don't don't charge anything, and uh, and uh, and the, the the fees have. Uh, have lowered quite a bit because they know that the tournaments they they have to survive. So, so they they know that uh, the the tournaments they, they they can go out and do a, uh, you know a proposition that is out of their reach because out of their financial reach. Because the tournament can uh, cannot survive if they if they if they invest too much money in in, in a year like this. And uh, so uh, tournaments have to, have to be really wise. And uh, to the players also have been wise because uh, they know that they cannot charge the, the same amounts. And I would say that uh, Stefano Tsitsipas would normally charge, I don't know, I don't know, I'm just guessing uh, 400,000 euro to, to play on a, a ATP 250 or ATP 500. Because he's such a big name right now, and he's a, a great character, a charismatic player. Um, Nadal and Federer, one million, and Djokovic as well. But I don't think that those those three will lower their their fees. I don't think they, they will lower their fees. But the other ones, yeah, they will. They are adjusting to to, to the situation. And uh, and as I told you, uh, a tournament like a surreal uh, open. Um, Part of the of the, the fi uh, uh, their uh, financial income comes from areas that 
we're not able we were not able to to have this year the the the, tic- the ticketing and the and the, the corporate side so uh I, i'm i'm guessing that the tournament director didn't spend too much money on appearance fees uh, uh, this year and uh, we had we had withdrawals uh, for our city number one should have been diego schwarzman withdrew a few a few days before the tournament uh, alongside uh, pablo carreño busto a former winner and uh, and they they both withdrew before they played each other in the quarters of uh, barcelona and i found that you know they they announced they they their withdrawal and fans were seeing them play against each other and then paulo carreño busto uh, playing the semis and uh, having uh, announced uh, his withdrawal from from the Australian open it was tough to deal with because uh, the aficionados don't understand what's what goes on into all all those as aspects of organizing uh, a tournament and attracting the players and the play and uh, of course with social media they they say well they say the most absurd things and uh, it's difficult for for the average fan to understand why a, a player uh, withdraws from a tournament in the following week uh, following week while still playing the previous week and uh, i think It also happened with Yannick Sinner and Munich. He announced that he was not playing in Munich while he was still playing in Barcelona. And I think the ATP2 should should protect a little bit more the tournaments uh, uh, when when uh, things like that out, uh, happen. But then again, it's um, um, it's it's a side effect of, of the COVID times of the pandemic. So so players are uh, are entering on most. Uh, most tournaments and then they decide at last minute if they are able if they're fresh enough to play on the, the following week or not but then again they they withdraw and uh, they leave the the tournaments uh, with a problem within their hands for instance the, the communication all, all the communication uh, associated with the tournament you know they there were a few names announced and the, the posters and uh, and most of them withdrew the most of them didn't come so It's, it's very difficult to manage in these in these conditions, but we have to accept because it's such a special year. No, absolutely, and I mean this is again a lot of uh, valuable input. I'm sure the listeners will dive into it, and hopefully, uh, they may some of them may even ask you more questions on Twitter. So, Miguel, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, let's have you back on the show sometime soon. I know you're exhausted after another mm-hmm. successful week of Estoril. Uh, hopefully, you know sure. uh, in the future I'll see you there in person one day. That's uh, that's on my bucket list. Yeah, that's that's a tournament. Uh, it's a it's a it's a boutique event, meaning that uh, it's a, it's a cozy event. Everything is is nearby, and uh, uh, and also the, the the area is is beautiful. Seaside Kashkai is a beautiful place where I live now. It's sunny outside, and uh, also it's real. And they have uh, a metropole nearby, Lisbon. The airport is 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 also close, so I think it's. Uh, It's a, it's a it's a pretty good tournament, and I have many friends from abroad that come, not only from the media, but uh, but uh, pure tennis aficionados that come and really enjoy it. So I hope you can come one one of these days, one of these years. Absolutely, thank you. Thanks, thanks, Akib.